So Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through, through 34. If you would stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. So the words of Jesus during the Sermon on the Mount, and he says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? In which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. God, we thank you for the words of Jesus in this passage, imploring us to not be anxious and not to worry, but instead to trust you. God, it's an easy thing to say, but it's a hard thing to do. To step back and to trust, um, to, to trust that, that you care for us, that you love us and that nothing is happening that catches you off guard. So God, as we walk through this passage this morning, I pray that you help me to speak clearly. I pray that you help um, us to hear clearly, God, and I pray that you would help us to grow um, just a step further in our sanctification and in submitting and trusting in you as our provider. pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You can have a seat. So, Bexley uh, was born in 2017, and obviously, I had the same concerns that any first-time parent has. Uh, namely, can I keep this child alive? Um, I, rem- I remember when he came from, from the hospital, you know, you always joke, like, kids don't come with an owner's manual. Our hospital actually sent us home with, like, an owner's manual. It was really awesome. So I had those concerns, but in, in 2017, uh, the economy was, was doing pretty well. Gas was affordable. Um, no one was talking about food shortages or water shortages as any kind of actual possible reality. Uh, things didn't seem to me, at least maybe I just wasn't as, as aware of things as I am now. Things didn't seem quite as politically charged. Uh, a global pandemic was just a plot in a good thriller movie. Um, it's, I don't know if, if you've since COVID have gone back and watched some of those like pandemic movies. Uh, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting, a little eerie, um, but we have baby girl number two now due in, in December. And this time around, I'm not so concerned about keeping a baby alive. I'm confident like ours has made it to almost five. Um, so we've, we've, I, I feel like I'm pretty confident with that. But I'm far less certain of, of the immediate future, right? Far less certain of the immediate future. I'm less confident about, what, uh, about, the, about the direction that our country's going, that our world's Going, I'm less confident about what the world is going to look like as my as my kids grow up, and I know I'm not alone in this because it seems like the majority of conversations I have with people or conversations I overhear, the tumultuous times we live in are almost always mentioned. I mean, it's an easy conversation starter. I'm at the gas pump, and there's someone else at the gas pump, and how are you doing today? Like, well, I'm just getting rid of my paycheck. That's about it, right? About every conversation, 
um, mentions it. And we're all, we're all concerned. We, we don't know what the next year, two years, five years are going to hold. Um, we hear about food shortages. We're concerned about how far-reaching those are really going to be. Uh, we hear about World War II-era boats and dead bodies from the mob popping up in, in lakes because water levels are so low. Uh, after the response to the pandemic, we're a little concerned about how far our government is uh, not only willing but able to reach. Uh, the moral fabric of our country is tearing so quickly that, that we're concerned about where it's going to end up. I want to read you. Megan came across a couple things on Facebook last night um, of events happening in our community. This one is happening uh, as we speak, right this second. If you remember, uh, Barnes, Barnes & Noble a few weeks ago was going to host one of those drag queen story hours. Um, and fortunately, there was enough pushback in the Magic Valley that, uh, that it was canceled. They claimed it was because people had COVID. Um, but that's, you know, that's not why. But listen to this. This is happening as we speak, 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. today. Welcome back. After the unfortunate cancel and backlash, we have created the new event even bigger and badder than before. Join us in our drag story time event in which our local drag stars will be reading and giving away LGBTQ children's books to the local public. Bring the kiddos, bring the family, and join us for this free event as we speak. Um, all that to say, the concerns that we have are very much valid. Um, and, and those concerns aren't wrong. The Bible values wisdom. The, value, the Bible values common sense. The Bible values using our brain and thinking critically about these things. But where we run into problem is when these concerns that we have about the world around us, about the future, about things that are happening, when those concerns cross over into obsessive worry and obsessive um, anxiety and lack of trust that the problems begin. It's when we start to hang our hope on the problems of the world being fixed. When that's where our hope is, that's where the problems start. So in this passage, Jesus is specifically addressing concerns about what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, what we're going to wear. One commentary uh, referred to it as the world's trinity of cares. Um, and, and I think most of us, I don't want to you know, speak for everybody, but I think uh, it's safe to say that most of us in here, we're not worried about what we're going to eat tomorrow. Uh, we're not, well, we might be worried about we're not, what we're going to eat, uh, but not necessarily worried about whether we're going to eat or not. Uh, we're not worried about access to clean water. We're not worried about, uh, well, if this pair of clothes wears out, then I don't have anymore. We're not worried about those things, but we are worried and we do worry about what tomorrow holds. And, and I really think that Jesus' teaching here, specifically about food, clothing, water, extends to all of our worries and all of our concerns and all of our anxieties about the future and about the world around us. And Jesus is pretty clear. Do not be anxious about these things. Instead, seek God's kingdom and seek God's righteousness. As we go, it's important for us to remember who Jesus is talking to. Jesus is talking to a group of people who know what hunger is more than we know what hunger is, who didn't often have access to clean water like we do, who often had the pair of clothes they were wearing, if they were lucky, maybe another pair of clothes, a people who understood economic hardship more than we do, a people who understood political hardship and political oppression more than we do as of now. And yet... To these, to these people who know these things on a deeper level than we do, Jesus still tells them, do not be anxious. So if Jesus can say it to, to his early followers, then we would probably, in United States of America, we would probably do well to listen. If you own two vehicles, you're in the top 1% wealthiest people in the world. So if Jesus could tell these people not to be anxious, we would do well to listen. Sometimes when, we, uh, when, when you look at a passage of Scripture, it can, it can be a challenge to kind of figure out what's the main point, what are the supporting arguments in the passage. This one is really, really easy. Like Jesus did all the work for the preachers of the future 
with this passage. Um, it's, he tells us not to be anxious, and then he tells us why. And then he tells us, don't be anxious, and then he tells us why. And then he tells us, don't be anxious, and he tells us why. And then he gives us the solution to anxiety. The cure for our anxieties about tomorrow to seek God's kingdom. So, just walking through this passage in verse 25, do not be anxious. Why? Because life is more than food and clothes. Life is more than food and clothes. What kind of life is Jesus talking about? If he's just simply talking about survival, then that statement's not true. Because if we're just talking about survival, then food and water and clothing and shelter, like that is all that life is about. But all humans know that life is about more than survival. That life is about purpose. Uh, And of course, we as Christians, we know that our purpose is found and our purpose is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. As the Westminster Catechism puts it, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's our purpose. So when Jesus says life is more than food and clothes, he's referring to this more that he's referring to is found in relationship with our creator. God has placed a desire for purpose within all people. And the, the point of that, the purpose of that, is that it is, it is to cause us to seek that purpose in our creator. It's meant to drive us to him. But sinful humans being sinful humans and the wickedness in our own hearts, people uh, replace their true purpose to glorify God and to enjoy him forever with any number of counterfeits. And, and the counterfeits are many and they always fall short. In, in the passage preceding this, Jesus um, gives a, the famous discourse on loving, uh, loving God versus loving money. And he says to store up your treasure in heaven and don't store it on earth where moth and rust destroys and where the thief breaks in to steal. And then he says you can't serve both God and money. You have to pick one. You can't serve them both. Um, and so he's re- refer- specifically referring to money and the pursuit of wealth, but it can be any number of things that people seek to to find their purpose. There's a trend among younger generations, really kind of my, like the millennial generation and below to to go after experiences more than wealth. Uh, I've come across several videos recently of, um, it'll be like somebody in this beautiful place and it's either text or voiceover that says, like, I can always make my money back, but I'll only be 20 backpacking through Europe once in my life, right? Uh, there's an Expedia commercial right now, um, and an actor, I'm not going to say his name because I don't want to mess it up, uh, but he says, nobody at the end of your life looks back and thinks you wish you would have bought more stuff. You think back and think, I wish I would have been more places, right? So, um, so people can try to find their purpose in all kinds of things, but whatever anyone chases if it's anything short of enjoying God and, or glorifying God and enjoying him forever, it ultimately falls short. I always like to use this illustration of Tom, Tom Brady. Uh, it's an interview that he gave, I think this was 2005, uh, after his third Super Bowl win. And the interviewer asked him this. He said, this whole experience, this whole upward trajectory, what have you learned about yourself? What kind of an effect does it have on you? And Tom Brady responded, well, I put incredible amounts of pressure on myself. When you feel like you're ultimately responsible for everyone and everything, even though you have no control over it and you still blame yourself if things don't go right, I mean, there's a lot of pressure. A lot of times I think I get very frustrated and introverted, and there's times where I'm not the person that I want to be. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27 and what else is there for me? And the interviewer said, what's the answer? And Tom Brady responded, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. So Tom Brady, I don't, this used to, like the LeBron, Kobe, Michael Jordan debate, you can have that one. I just, I don't think there's any, I hate the Patriots. Uh, 
But I don't think there's any debate that like Tom Brady is the best quarterback in NFL history. And yet, I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. What else is there for me? Life is more about food and clothes. More, life is more about more than survival because it's about purpose. And you and I know that that purpose is found in relationship with our Creator. We are not anxious about what we're going to eat or drink or wear tomorrow because we know that our life is more than that anyway. That there's an eternal significance to our life, that our life is eternal, not when we die, then eternal life starts. At the moment of conversion, at the moment that God brings us from being dead in our sin to alive in Christ, that's where eternal life starts, right then and there. So don't worry about your life. Do not be anxious. Why? Jesus tells us to look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Now, it doesn't mean that birds don't work. A lot of people say that birds are the hardest working animals on the planet. They work hard to gather food. They work hard to build nests. They're resilient. Uh, We have a light out by this side door, and on that light are the spikes that are meant to keep birds from building nests. Um, And unless someone cleared it out, they might have cleared it out. But last time I looked, there was a bird nest right in the midst of those spikes that's meant to prevent them from building birds' nests. They're they're hardworking, resilient animals. Um, they don't they don't stare up at the sky with their beaks open, hoping that like a worm falls in it, right? But so they work, but they unknowingly trust that the Father provides for them. One commentary I read said this: It said there are millions and millions of birds, and by and large they are healthy and happy. None of them are suffering hypertension. None are suffering stress-related diseases, and certainly none of them are worrying. God takes care of them, and God will take care of us too. Came across an old poem uh, written by Elizabeth Cheney back in 1859. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. And consider what Jesus says. This is Matthew 10, verses 28 through 31. Um, you don't have to turn because I'm going to read a lot, of, a lot of stuff this morning, so don't feel like you need to turn there. Um, but Matthew 10, verses 28 through 31, Jesus says, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. So Jesus says they're not two sparrows. They're they're worthless in the eyes of people. They don't mean anything. They don't matter. And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. Who just laughed at it? Did you just laugh at it? Miss Sharon? It's not that impressive. I can number these hairs. <laughs> Golly. <laughs> but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. <laughs> I can't believe she laughed at me. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. This doesn't mean that a sparrow won't fall to the ground. It doesn't mean a sparrow won't get sick. A sparrow won't get hungry. But what it does mean is that none of it will happen apart from the Father. That no sparrow falls to the ground apart from the Father. So for the Christian, it doesn't mean that we won't go hungry, that we won't be cold, that we won't go without clothing. It doesn't mean that someone won't kill the body. Jesus tells us, yeah, there's some who can kill the body, but don't fear those. The Bible by no means shies away from suffering. In fact, Jesus talks a lot about it. If you flip back just a chapter in the Beatitudes, um, Jesus is clear that persecution is coming. If you're truly seeking the kingdom of God, you're going to be persecuted. Blessed are you when you are persecuted, right? The Bible doesn't shy away from suffering, but here's the truth of it. 
It, it doesn't mean we won't suffer, but it does mean that for the child of God, it doesn't happen apart from the Father. Romans eight thirty eight through 39, Paul puts it this way, that neither, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Lots of things can make us suffer, but nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Do not be anxious. God cares for the birds and are not his children more valuable than the birds. Do not be anxious, Jesus says, for which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? This is, in the Greek, a a pretty funny phrase. The the word translated hour is the word uh, peking or cubit. You may have a note in your Bible, and it's a unit of measurement. It's about 18 inches from like the elbow to the tips of the fingers. And then the word that's translated as span is the Greek word elikion, which can be translated as stature. So you could actually read this sentence as, which of you, by worrying about your height, can add 18 inches to it? Um, There's some of you in here who feel that statement. Uh, I won't point you out, but you could say, yeah, I've tried it and it hadn't worked. Here I am. We would think that's foolish. That's foolish to think you can add 18 inches to your height by worrying about your height. And that's the point, that it's foolish to think that worrying about the future, that worrying about these things is actually going to benefit us in the long run. If anything, worry harms us. If anything, worry takes hours off of our life. I have never in my life had my blood pressure rise because I was just so at peace in the situation. I've never had trouble sleeping because I was just so content with everything happening in my life. So why be anxious about what tomorrow holds? Being anxious about it isn't really going to add anything to your life. Especially, really, if we consider that a lot of the big picture things that we worry about and that we're anxious about, we can't do anything about those things, right? And yet, here we are, and we worry about them. We all know that worrying doesn't do any good, so don't be anxious. Do not be anxious, Jesus says. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, Even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So Jesus first used the illustration of the bird. And as we noted, birds are actually very hardworking creatures. Uh, A lily is not. It just grows and it becomes beautiful. Now, that's not to say that there aren't processes at work and photosynthesis and absorbing sunlight to create energy and nutrients from the soil Um, but really a a lily doing those things is no different than you or I digesting breakfast. Like it's happening, but we're not really, we're not really actively doing anything, depending on what you have for breakfast, I guess. May, may feel like work. Um, but I want to read from, from 1 Kings 10 verses 1 through 5, just to get a grasp on the glory of Solomon. 1 Kings 10, 1 through 5. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, Concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. So the glory of Solomon was quite literally breathtaking. And yet, Jesus says, the glory of Solomon has nothing on the simple lily of the field that does nothing 
but grow and rely on its creator. Think, step back really beyond the lily and consider all of creation. Um, humans are made in the image of God, Genesis 1, 27. Uh, and part of being made in the image of God means that humans are by nature creative beings. We create things that the animal kingdom does not create. Uh, and if we're being honest, some of the things that humans have, have made and created are pretty impressive. Uh, there's more technology in my smartphone than what sent men to the moon, right? Like that's, that's an insane feat. Um, strap myself to it and see what happens. But I, th- I think space exploration is, in general, is pretty fascinating. Um, all, the, all the technological innovation that, that goes into it, the invention, the creativity. And yet, with all the human innovation, all the human creativity, all the human invention and technology that goes into space exploration, we still can't grasp what God created with his words. With, with a word, he created the universe. He holds the universe in his hands. And with all of our invention and all of our creativity, we don't even know how big it is. We didn't even know for sure that planets out existed outside of our solar system until like the 90s, right? And God holds all of this in his hand. The point being, trust the creator. Because even his smallest creation, the lily, is greater than our biggest. Because we don't make anything out of nothing, right? It's like the old joke of the scientist and God and says, well, I bet I can create a, a human out of, out of dirt. And God challenges and says, okay, reaches down to grab a handful of dirt. God says, get your own dirt, right? <laughs> if God cares for the smallest creations, how much more so does he care for us? Do not be anxious, Jesus says, for if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? This is a parallel illustration to the lily. The grass lives, the grass dies. Simple life. Um, It's often used, grass is often used in the Bible as a metaphor for just the fragility and the shortness of, of human life. And it's not a positive illustration. Um, when, I, when I was about 12, 13 years old, I had a youth minister and we were doing like uh, teaching time and he used me as an illustration for, for David. Um, but not like man after God's own heart sitting on his throne conquering enemies, David. He used me as an illustration for like shepherd boy, most unlikely in the room to, to kill a giant David. Not, not a positive illustration. Um, but we're good now because I, I worried about my height. And I grew 18 inches. It worked for me. So, <laughs> bigger than him now, sucker. I need to go find that guy. Um, mo- most of us are familiar with Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely, the people are like grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So Jesus takes a thing that's used as as an illustration of how weak we are, and he says, if God cares for the grass that's here today, gone tomorrow, how much more will he care for you? There's only one that stands forever, and that's God in his word, so stop trusting other things and trust in that. But here's the dagger in this little bit of this passage. Jesus says, O you of little faith. Jesus draws this connection between our anxiety about the future and a lack of faith and a lack of trust in God. I want to read a couple of passages where Jesus specifically uses this phrase, O you of little faith. And let's take note of the, of the context of these passages that Jesus is using it. Matthew 8 Verses 23 through 27, uh, it says, And when he got into the boat, his, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. 
but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? Why were they afraid? Why did Jesus say to them, O you of little faith? Because they didn't trust him. A few chapters over, Matthew chapter 14, verses 30 through 33. It's when Peter was walking on the water, and it says, When he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So why did Jesus say, O you of little faith? Because Peter was afraid, and Peter didn't trust Jesus. A couple more chapters over, Matthew 16, starting in chapter, or in verse 5, Matthew 16, 5. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gather? So why were they anxious about food? Because they didn't trust Jesus. Why did Jesus say to them, Oh, you of little faith? Because they didn't trust Jesus. And that was after they had already seen Jesus do this type of miracle. They still didn't trust. So why do we worry about what we're going to eat or what we're going to drink or what we're going to wear? Um, why do we think, oh, another child, I'm running the numbers. I'm not sure how this one's going to work. Why do we worry about the next election? Why do we obsessively check the news to see what's going on and to see what kind of madness happened today? Why do we come up with scenarios that, that may be likely, but we come up with scenarios of the future, and then we, we worry about these things? If this statement steps on your toes, it's okay. It's been stepping on my toes for months now, really, but especially... Uh, especially this last week, we worry because we don't trust Jesus. That's why we worry. And I don't want to admit that. I want to say, no, I worry because I'm a realist, because I'm logical, because I'm a critical thinker. Uh, But no, if I'm honest with myself and if I'm honest with God, I worry about my future. I worry about my family's future. I worry about the future of our nation because I don't trust the Father. That's why I worry. Now, that doesn't mean that we're trusting everything to work out the way we want it to work out. Um, if you asked the disciples, um, 11 of whom were martyred, one of whom probably would have rather been martyred than exiled, um, they would have told you, that's not exactly the way I had it all planned out. Um, yet they trusted God to work all things out the way he wanted to. So it doesn't mean that we're trusting for things to work out the way we plan, that our plans are going to be fulfilled, our goals, our ambitions. Um, but we are trusting for God to work everything out the way he desires. Do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the Gentiles Seek after these things. I want to clarify Gentile uh, because I never like to assume that everyone listening to a sermon is familiar with terms. Um, I had a friend once that, that grew up um, in a completely non-religious household, had never read a Bible, knew nothing about the Bible, became a Christian, uh, was, a, was a baby, baby Christian, had been a Christian for maybe a couple weeks went to church and the pastor just in his sermon a couple times mentioned like lost sheep, right? And if you've grown up in church, you understand where, you know, what he's talking about. If you have never heard 
anything of that before. After the friend said, what? What? Like, what? why is everyone so concerned about these sheep? Like, who lost their sheep, right? Like, who was so concerned about it? Um, and so, after, I, I never like to assume that when you say a term that's, uh, that's very specific to, to Bible language that everyone understands it. So, a Gentile is a non-Jew, and I assume that all of us in here are Gentiles by definition. Um, but at the time Jesus was teaching, the gospel had not yet been preached to the Gentiles. We see that happening in the book of Acts uh, when, Paul, or when Paul is commissioned by Jesus to, to take the gospel to the Gentiles. So when Jesus is, is teaching here, um, he's referring to these non-Jewish pagans that are living alongside God's people. So essentially what Jesus is telling his fathers is why do you worry? When you worry about these things, you are living like a godless pagan. When you worry, you are living like a godless pagan. Look around at our world. There is no shortage of worry and anxiety. The left worries, the right worries about like the same issues, but for different reasons. Everybody worries. Uh, think back to March 2020. If you want the best example of worry and, and anxiety and panic, just look at the way the world reacted. But, but here's the thing, to be honest. Why wouldn't the world worry? Why wouldn't they? In a godless person's mind, this life is all there is. So why wouldn't you worry about it? Why would you not pursue riches? Why would you not do all that you can to be as comfortable as possible? Why wouldn't you obsess over which politician governs your life? Why wouldn't you do anything you possibly could to get the right people there? Because if this world is all there is, and if this life is all there is, then why wouldn't you worry? But those of us who have been adopted as heirs of Christ, those of us who were dead in sin and have now been made alive in Christ, those of us who have died to ourselves and now live for Christ, we know that our body is more, that our life is more than food and clothing. We know that our Father is the giver of every good gift. We know that the world can kill our body, but it can't kill our soul. So, O oh you and O oh me of little faith, Stop worrying and stop living like a godless pagan. Stop trusting the economy. Stop trusting politicians. Stop trusting elections. And stop trusting yourself. Trust the Father. He knows what you need. Here's where we really get to the main point of this. Jesus is told us multiple times, do not be anxious, here's why. Do not be anxious, here's why. Now he says, here's, here's how to not be anxious. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The godless people of the world are anxious about the world because that's all they care about. That's all they know. Their minds don't go beyond what's right in front of them. So what's our primary concern? Is our primary concern the kingdom of God? Or if we're really honest with ourselves, do we put a whole lot of stock in the kingdom of man? Do we care more about the kingdom of God than we do the kingdom of man? In John 18, 36, Jesus said this, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. If I'm seeking first the kingdom of God, and I'm not saying I always am, this is a struggle for me like it is any Christian, but if I'm seeking first the kingdom of God, I don't care who the president is. I don't care if it's Joe Biden. I don't care if it's Donald Trump. I don't care if it's Abraham Lincoln. I don't care who the president is. Why? Because I have one king. So I trust Romans 10, 
one that says there is no authority except from God. And those that exist in authority have been instituted by God. Why am I so worried about elections if I say I believe this? I trust Colossians 1, verses, verse 16, it says, For by him all things were created. All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities or oval offices. All things were created through him and for him. I trust Matthew twenty-eight eighteen. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. If I seek first the kingdom of God, I trust Ephesians 1, 20 and 21, that God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he puts all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. If I truly believe that all dominion and rule and authority and power in this earth is under the authority of Jesus Christ, is under his feet like a footstool, why do I care? Why do I care? Why do I worry about November? Why do I worry about 2024? Because I trust the one true king of all things. If I'm seeking first the kingdom of God, I might cringe when it costs me $100 to fill up my truck instead of $50 to fill up my truck. But I don't freak out about it. Why? Because my treasure is not on this earth anyway. I don't worry about bringing a new child in the world and how are we, because kids are expensive. It's crazy. Uh, it's like you don't even do anything and you cost so much money. Um, start giving it back at some point. But I don't worry about bringing a new child into this world. Why? Because I seek first the kingdom of God and I trust the father. And you know what's true about the father is that as much as I love my daughter, uh, daughters, um, the heavenly father loves them and cares for them far more than I ever could, right? Far more than I ever could. So if I seek first the kingdom of God, I don't worry about them. God cares more than they do or more than I do. If I'm seeking first the kingdom of God, I don't just give lip service to God's sovereignty. We talk a lot about God's sovereignty in this church. That's one of the things I love about Northridge. But if I'm seeking first the kingdom of God, I don't just give lip service to it. I live it. I actually live like I actually believe that God is sovereign over all things. And that if somebody is elected into office that I wish wouldn't have been elected into office, it didn't catch God off guard. He's sovereign. It's under his rule and reign. He's above all things. If I seek first the kingdom of God, I seek God's righteousness. That's the whole thrust of Mickey's sermon series on sanctification in Romans 6 through 8, is to seek God's righteousness. And if I'm seeking God's righteousness, I spend more time in the Bible than I do on Netflix or Amazon or whatever it is. I pray to God like I actually trust God. I pray to God like I actually believe that he's the sovereign king of the universe. I seek first the kingdom of God. Now our culture is, is getting more and more wicked by the day. Uh, I'm sure some of you are fans of the Babylon Bee. It's a satire website. Um, there's also a, a website called Not the Bee that's things that you wish were satire, but they're not. Um, and every day I look at Babylon or at, the, at Not the Bee and it blows my mind uh, just how, how wicked things can possibly get. So when we live in a culture where people currently are very, very, very angry that they're not allowed to murder their babies anymore, they're ticked about it. We live in a culture where, uh, and God bless it, this was in my home state that this happened, um, that 
children or the parents take their children to a drag queen bar and they give their children dollar bills to stuff in the waistband of women's underwear that's being worn by a grown man. That's the culture that we live in. The media tells us uh, that if you say that a man is a man and a woman is a woman, then you are bigoted and hateful uh, and you're going to get kicked off of Twitter for saying such a thing. If you hold to a traditional view of marriage that God obviously created a man and a woman to fit together in a way that a man and a man don't and a woman and a woman don't, if you say the obvious, you're bigoted and you're hateful. So when we live in that kind of culture, when we live in that kind of culture, it makes it really easy to overlook the sin in our own lives, right? It makes it really easy to overlook our own sin. But if I'm seeking God's righteousness, I don't. I don't overlook the sin in my own heart. I humble myself before God. I live a life of daily repentance. I pray for the Holy Spirit to convict me and to open my eyes to my blind spots. Doesn't mean I don't speak truth and I don't point out the sinfulness of the world around me, but I do say, take the log out of my eye. If I'm seeking God's righteousness, I don't overlook my sin because I'm so busy looking at everyone else's. Seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus says, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So let's step back and let's humble ourselves before God and let's say, God, I trust you to provide for me. I trust you that nothing is happening in the world that catches you off guard. It catches me off guard, but nothing catches you off guard. We say, I trust you that all things are part of your historic redemptive plan. I trust that you work all things together for the good of those who love you. Now, is it easy? No. <laughs> I, I want my daughters to grow up comfortably. Um, I want them to experience the same level of freedom that I experienced. I grew up in the, in the 90s, and like, I just feel like that was probably like the golden age, right? Like Things were good. The internet wasn't invented yet. That was probably the big part of how awesome it was. I want them to experience what I experienced. Um, I want my, my girls to be able to watch a Disney movie uh, and not have to worry about any kind of, of sexual uh, topics, much less being faced with LGBTQ topics and Buzz Lightyear. I would, I would like to live in a world that I don't have to explain to my four-year-old, no, we can't go, we're not taking you to watch Buzz Lightyear or or this movie, or that, because of the agenda. So it's not easy not to worry. It's not easy not to be anxious. But, but here's the thing, is that this is, not, this is not a suggestion. This is an imperative command from Jesus. An imperative command. And what do we call it when we disobey an imperative command from Jesus? It is a sin to worry and be anxious about these things instead of trusting the Father. Now, it doesn't mean that we aren't informed. It doesn't mean that we're not aware of what's happening. It doesn't mean um, that we shouldn't be concerned. Uh, I, don't, I don't even think that it means that we shouldn't be a little bit angry about these things. I think if we're not concerned and we're not upset and angry, there's probably something wrong. But what it does mean is that we don't have the world's luxury of worrying and of being anxious. We have to trust our Father. He cares for us. This is a command of Jesus. Do not be anxious. He knows our need. Nothing is outside of his sovereign rule and reign. Not a sparrow falls from the sky apart from him. So, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I'm going to ask Chris to, to come up, and he's going to just play on the, on the piano for a few 
moments while we have a response time. But I want to, I want to make sure and say this as, as we close. Um, we've talked a lot about worry and, and about the, the future and what's going on in our culture and, and these kinds of things. So I want to make sure and say this, that uh, it, it ultimately doesn't matter how conservative you are. It doesn't matter what kind of Judeo-Christian values you and your family hold. It doesn't matter uh, that you push back against some of the cultural agendas. Those things ultimately don't matter because if you haven't repented of your sin and trusted in the finished work of Jesus, you are still dead in your sin. There are a whole lot of conservative political commentators that I enjoy listening to, uh, that I agree with on a lot of things, but I have to step back and remind myself, uh, conservative doesn't equal Christian. Judeo-Christian values don't equal Christian. Pushing back against agendas don't equal Christian. So that's you this morning, and maybe you're here um, because you you agree with us on a lot of things, but if you have not repented of your sin, trusted in Jesus, you're still dead in your sin. Your good works, your values, your political views at the judgment seat of God gets you hell apart from Christ. So repent of your sin. The God of the universe sent his son to live the life that we cannot live. He died the death that we deserve. He took the wrath of God upon himself And as we sang it in Christ alone, upon him, the wrath of God was satisfied. We deserve it for our sin. He took it upon himself. He died. He was buried. Three days later, he came back from the grave, victorious over sin and death. And he now sits at the right hand of the Father above all rule and authority and powers and dominions in the world, ruling and reigning over the earth. So Christian, do not be anxious. Seek first the kingdom of God. If you this morning are not a Christian, you should be anxious. Not about those things, but about the fact that you are still a sinner condemned before God. So repent of your sin. Confess your need for the Savior. I'm going to walk down and the altar will be open for a few moments. If, uh, if, if you need to talk about salvation, um, there's people all around you. If, uh, if you need to pray either at the altar in your own seat, if you're like me and you need to repent of anxiety and worry, I struggle with this. I struggle, uh, especially as a, as a, as a veteran um, who has put some blood, sweat, and tears into things. I struggle with not worrying and being anxious about, about where things seem to be heading. But it's sin, and it needs to be repented of. So uh, the altar is open. Your seats are open. We'll just have just a few minutes.